Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Man, it's early, guys. I made the rookie mistake. I, I was on mute right there. I went through my whole intro, Amari. And I was like, man, why isn't Amari chiming in here? It's his turn to do his thing. And uh, obviously, I was muted. So we're going to get into this. But first, we do have a review over on Apple. Again, we always appreciate these guys. So this is from LA Pistons fans. He said, Bryson Amari, five-star. This is the most reasoned and informative source of Pistons news and opinion out there. I really appreciate you guys. Your calm demeanor and sincere interest in what you're doing are especially appreciated. So another really cool review there, Amari, on the podcast, which we always appreciate. Yeah, you know, you guys always leave us the nicest comments and reviews. Uh, Feel free to continue giving us your feedback good or bad but hopefully good it's always great to hear from you all and know what we're doing great so amari and i i think amari actually got less sleep than me so i was kind of like pouting this morning because i only got a few hours of sleep and there we go i only got a few hours of sleep and then amari comes he's like yeah i was up till three four o'clock in the morning i was like dang like i don't even have that excuse so um this will be fun i know we'll kind of get some energy and the juices flowing here this morning to talk about the pistons draft last night so let's just let's get right into it amari asar thompson it seemed like this is where things were going leading up to the draft and that's where it ended up with troy weaver and the Pistons. so what were your initial thoughts on that i know you guys got a chance it looked like to talk to asar last night let's get us started here yeah it seemed like uh the intel on cam whitmore really shifted a lot uh, just been the last week i don't know if anybody predicted him falling all the way down to 20 but you know you talk about the big swing and and just all the skills the pistons coveted at that five spot and Asar Thompson does check a lot of those boxes. Uh, Troy just talked about how he felt as though he connected with Asar uh, during the pre-draft process. And then we talked to him uh, last night and, you know, he's talking about uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and, and Josh Giddy and um, Jalen Williams as sort of a example of what the Pistons could be next season with himself and Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. And it seemed like a really, you know, smart kid, uh, you know, somebody who really knows the game of basketball. And of course, there's a lot of talk about his fit with the Pistons and what he's going to bring. And you look at the athleticism and the defense and the playmaking, and he does check a lot of those boxes the Pistons need at the wing position. Uh, you know, I did ask Trey about the shooting, and they expressed, he expressed confidence they could shoot. Uh, Sarah Thompson did as well. And we put it all together. I mean, it, it, it really does make sense why the Pistons went that direction. Uh, that should be a fun team next season, too. Just, you know, you look at Asar and, and Duran and uh, Ivy, a lot of teams don't have that amount of just bounciness and, and, and playmaking from those three spots. So I think it does check a lot of boxes for them. I've said, not on the podcast, but on other things I've done, I feel like I kind of started to misevaluate Asar because as you know, someone that kind of covers the Pistons, I got really kind of narrow-minded in, okay, him versus Cam Whitmore. Like those were the two true wings, in my opinion. You know, Amin and Anthony Black were jumbo initiators. Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks were more like power forward type players. And so I was kind of trying to pigeonhole Asar into the same type of wing as Cam Whitmore. And we'll talk about Cam. I do want to get into that eventually, but not right now. Let's keep the focus on Asar. And so... 
I, I pigeonholed him into that. And then as I came around on this Andre Iguodala type of wing, I started to see it a little bit more, Amari. I think either Troy or somebody, I think, even mentioned that, kind of made that comparison as well. Like, I, I think he has a obviously some upside to do more than that, but just this defensive stalwart, you know, elite defensive guy, if he gets there, obviously it's projectable. And then offensively, maybe he's not a great shooter, but he has a great feel. You can use him in a variety of ways. I think if you're creative, he can be really good. So I've kind of talked myself and worked myself into being more excited about this pick with the understanding that it's not easy just to project somebody to be Andre Iguodala, right? Amari, like just because you're athletic and have a good feel for the game doesn't mean that's what you're going to end up being. Yeah, I mean, that's a very uh, specific comparison from Trey Weaver to compare him to the Philadelphia version of Andre Iguodala. And we've seen a lot of athletic playmaking wings coming to the NBA. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he could have said Evan Turner. He could have said a, a lot of guys who kind of fall short of the career that Andre Iguodala put together. But if Assad does fit that blueprint, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about OCE, and that's talked a lot about just the adjustment of competition there but if you're getting an Andre Iguodala type of wing on this team that you know I think back to you know like nine years ago 2014 when they were rumored to sign Iguodala in free agency and they went with Josh Biff which you know we'll have to go down that that path but but Iggy's skill set I think has always been on paper just something that the Pistons have needed Uh, not just this team but in general Uh, you look at the last 10-15 years they just lacked wings with that type of playmaking, that type of you know, shot-making and athleticism. And you, you just look at this team, and they do clearly need that, right? I mean, look at a lot of the players that they could even go after a free agency uh, who check those same boxes. So, you know, it's clear where the front office's head is right now, and uh, they have a very clear idea of where this roster is going. And, you know, of course, also a lot of talk about just having multiple binders on the floor. Uh, if you're adding an Andre Iguodala-esque player, I think in any capacity, then that not only raises your floor, but your ceiling as well. Yeah, that's what's intriguing with me with the SAR. You know, whenever we were talking about a man possibly falling to the Pistons at five, it was like, okay, he's got to be able to do some of the things we're going to assume we see from a SAR, but then also a man can be almost your second primary initiator, almost your backup point guard. I think there's some potential... For that with Asar as well. You're probably not putting the ball in his hands in place of Cade or even Jaden the way you may a little bit with the men. But for Asar, he may eventually eliminate the need for a backup point guard. And this isn't me like trying to run Killian Hayes out of town. We'll talk about Marcus Sasser here probably in the next segment. But I think Asar has the potential to be, okay, let's stagger some minutes here and he can initiate offense. Or what if Cade does start really knocking down shots and Jaden gets really comfortable off the ball, you put the ball in the Sars' hands, you let him initiate offense a little bit. I think the big thing, and, and again, we'll talk about this draft as a whole, is I think the defensive end of the floor was really emphasized. Now, I think Asar has some things he's going to have to figure out. Both of them did based on where they played. I think they have some bad habits they developed in the OTE. But there's no question that the defensive upside is really there with the Sar Thompson. And he can take all those defensive matchups that we don't want Cade and Jaden to necessarily have to take. Six, seven, uh, seven foot wingspan. And he can really move, right? Like you talk about the athleticism, but in general, he's just somebody who moves incredibly well. And if you're talking about just 
you know, pure tools to be that type of defender. Uh, I think it's really hard to do better than Asar Thompson at that spot, right? I mean, you could go Jairus Walker, you could go Anthony Black, there are some other guys who are really good defensively in that category. But, you know, they really don't have that combination of wingspan and athleticism that Asar Thompson has. And he feels a very big need, right? I mean, last season we all talked about just how much they lacked that kind of big wing who could maybe give you uh, an option to deter the Jason Tatums and some of the other guys. You're not going to stop those guys, obviously, but you just need tools in the tool chest to be able to do it. So you have that. And then to your point about his playmaking, uh, yeah, I am curious to see if he can do a lot of the primary ball handler stuff. I mean, you know, the entire, uh, I guess, I won't say knock with Asar, but when you compare him to his brother, it's that Amen is more of the on-ball primary guy. Asar is more of the, you know, secondary, keep the ball moving. But, you know, they had similar assist numbers last season. Uh, the ball may not have been in Asar's hands as much, but, you know, he was still a primary playmaker in a lot of ways. And I also kind of look at the Boston Celtics, where you have all these different guards, and, and Derek White, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, you know, not anymore, but in, in general. And, you know, they gave within the game to finals this past year and in the finals a year ago. And none of those players are really necessarily like, quote, unquote, pure point guards. But it's just about having multiple ball handlers and, you know, multiple options to uh, attack. And I think the Pistons can do a lot of that now. I think people are really concerned with the shooting and obviously the floor spacing and all of that. And I get it. I, I really do. But there was other holes that needed to be filled on this team. You know, you're talking about the defense and Asar projects to fill that and just continue to get more athletic. I kind of had a tweet the other day about how after the, I think it was after Cade's rookie season, people were like, this team needs to get more athletic. It's the most unathletic team in, in the NBA. And Troy Weaver goes out in, in three picks he takes Jaden Ivey Jalen Dern and Asar Thompson like all of a sudden this team is not unathletic anymore even though yeah shooting could still be something I told somebody on Twitter I would like I would use Hami as the baseline for Asar Omari take Hamadou Diallo make him a couple inches taller wingspan and then give him more athleticism, Omari, and a much better feel for the game and passing, defensive feel, all of that stuff. Like that, that's kind of the baseline, in my opinion, of what we're working with here. So, yes, at number five, if you just get that, that's probably not what you're looking for, but that's the baseline. He's also younger, obviously. You know, he is 20. Asar is 20 already. Their birthday was, I mean, he's 20 and a half. Um, their birthday is in January. But that's kind of what you're looking at here. And I do think that's kind of the role that we're going to see from Asar initially. What, what do you think? Is that, is that what, would you agree with kind of that comp, that role, that archetype of player for Asar? I agree for the most part. I think he will just do a little bit of everything, right? I think when you look at the needs for this team, you know, I can see them telling Asar next season what you bring to this team is going to be predicated on defense, right? Like that's the area of the floor where you've got to bring it the most. Uh, you, have, you have Cade, you have Ivy. Uh, you may not need a star to be as heavily involved in playmaking where he needs to, right? But if he could really make defense his charge and embrace making life easier for those guys or not end up the floor, you know, I think he could have a pretty clear uh, path to playing time uh, pretty immediately. But beyond that, I mean, you know, I like the Hami comparison, but he's more like, you know, you take what Hami gives you, but then also it's like if Hami were pl a primary playmaker, right? You know, somebody who could really pass and keep the ball moving. And, you know, there's just some stuff in Asara's package that 
I mean, just overall, I mean, you can compare him to any player in the NBA, but it's just not many guys who are just that gifted athletically. So you can do a lot of things with him, and I'm curious to see which direction Monty Williams goes with him as a rookie. Because roster-wise, it seems like Asar is also like Detroit's first lottery pick. And, I mean, who knows how long, who probably won't be asked to do too much. Like, you know, Cade has to do everything as a rookie. Uh, Cade goes down, so Ivy has to do a lot last season, and then Duran ended up starting half the games he appeared in. And, you know, all these guys probably had to carry much bigger loads than you would expect for them. Uh, or maybe necessarily want for them uh, as rookies. But you look at this team and just overall depth that they have, and they don't need to ask a star to do a lot. Uh, you know, you can just have them come in, be a defensive specialist. It keeps the ball moving. Uh, you can probably live with the shooting, uh, maybe being longer down the road. Maybe he's ready day one, but, you know, maybe that's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You can live with that, and you can put him in a position where he can just let the game come to him. You don't have to ask him to be that do-it-all type of player like the other lottery picks have had to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm glad you brought that up because I tweeted out like, hey, I would go ahead and start Asar from day one. And and I got some pushback and I understand it, right? I mean, playing in the OT, that's going to be a big jump in competition level. He is raw. Like as we're talking about a lot of these positives, there is a lot of rawness to him, even on the defensive end of the floor. But I think what you have to realize with Hami is it's not Cade coming in being the face of the franchise running the show right it's not Jaden coming in being asked to be the number two if 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 Asar started Amari he would be the fourth option on offense maybe the fifth you know depending on how much you think Jalen Duren is going to play into all of this so offensively I don't think his expectations or what they're going to ask him to do is that high they're going to ask him to do what he can do well which is move the ball cut offensive rebound, get out and transition. Those aren't hard things for a star to be successful at as a rookie. What I worry a little bit is from day one, do you say Asar, go guard Jason Tatum? Asar, go guard LeBron James? Asar, go guard, you know, Jimmy Butler? That's where I get a little bit nervous, Omari, because you can hurt his confidence if all of a sudden he's supposed to be this defensive stalwart and then you put him up against those guys and he doesn't have success. So I'm actually a little more nervous with them giving him too much defensively, but... I mean, I think he's a great kid. Like you said, all the intel was he was a great kid. And it sounds like from the interview last night, it, you felt the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, of course, they have 30 minutes in the cap space that they could use to get another defensive player in and uh, take some of the pressure off of Asar. But yeah, you could utilize him in a lot of different ways. You don't have to ask him to, I think especially not having to carry too much of the scoring load, like having two other ball handlers to play off of from day one. And then you also have, you know, Alec Burks and uh, Boyan Bogdanovic and all these other players who can make things happen. And, uh, you know, he's in a pretty good position, really, you know, especially for his skill set where, you know, he just won't have to carry the load he had to carry at OTE. And he did a pretty good job of that. I mean, his numbers, his official overall was still pretty solid, you know, even though the the shooting obviously didn't really come around as of the playoffs, but uh, he should be able to just come in with the Pistons and just embrace whatever role they lead him to, which will probably bode pretty well for him long term. All right, guys, we are going to do our normal three segments. They might be a little bit shorter, so we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, we'll talk about Marcus Sasser and the, the draft hall as a whole. And then at the end, after our second break, we'll take some of your questions. So we have a couple of them start here. If you have some questions for Amari and I, we'll do a little Q&A, a little mailbag stuff. We'll get to those after the second break. But we got to take a short one right here. When we come back, we'll dive into what ended up being another first-round pick, Marcus Sasser. 
All right, we're back with segment two, and we're going to lead off and talk about uh, Marcus Sasser, who of course has traded up uh, with Boston for. Uh, they uh, packaged the 31st pick and the two future seconds to get to 25. And, uh, you know, Marcus Sasser, of course, uh, had a really good career at, at Houston. Um, you know, four-year player, but does a lot of stuff well. I mean, he shot the ball really well. Uh, really strong defender. I mean, he's 6'1", but he's got a big wingspan. And, uh, you know, should be able to defend ones and twos in the NBA. Uh, toughness. Uh, this was to me a, and yeah, you know, I was I was told last night that Troy Weaver and Monty Williams were both really high on Sasser. So uh, this was sort of a you could call it like a joint pick, maybe like you know, coach got his guy, front office got their guy, and uh, just a really strong culture fit as well. But Bryce, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Marcus Sasser because just like going into the draft, you know, this didn't necessarily have a big need for a point guard, but obviously. Look at what Sasser brings, and he really does, you know, I think, fit what the Pistons want just from an identity standpoint really well. We talked about this with the Tyler, I think, whenever we did our first round 31 for the Pistons. I think I would, you know, we talked back and forth, is this something where they really need to go better off just taking one of these wings, you know, and a lot of those guys were still available there. And I know a lot of Pistons fans were upset with that. You know, I had people texting me about like Leonard Miller and, and different guys like that that were still on the board. I, I saw a lot of people really upset about the move up, Omari. That that struck me a little weird. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, if they identified Marcus Sasser as somebody they feel like can come in and help this team, and like you say, I think he's a good culture fit. I think you play at Houston, especially for four years, and you, you're going to have a certain mentality when you come out of that program. And so I, I think it's fine. I, I don't know what the two second-round picks are, but – I mean, if they need a second-round pick in the future, they're going to be able to get one because those things fly around all over the place. So I wasn't overly upset about that. I think I gave this draft a B um, on your timeline whenever you put that poll out. I don't. I think that was that was leading. That was the majority of the time. Um, that was last night. So I mean, because there is some, you know, there's a chance that Asar doesn't pan out. Like there's a chance. There's a real chance there. And while Sasser maybe not the biggest need, I like him. And I don't know, I'm interested to see what you, I, I don't think this it means the end of Killian Hayes. I don't think it means the end of Alec Burks. You know, like, I think you can have five guards and be able to play all of them at least this season. But I really like Marcus Sasser as a player. And you wanted three-point shooting. This kid can shoot it. If you just look at his career, Omari, 37% on seven attempts. So a high-volume three-point guy, over 80% from the free-throw line. His assists increase throughout his career. He doesn't turn the ball over pretty much at all, and he gets after it defensively, even though there you know, isn't a ton of versatility because of his size. Yeah, and I was surprised to see people kind of Dr. Piston saying that they took two guards but already had three uh, because Asar is a – I mean, you could call him a guard, but, I, you know, he's more of a, a wing to me. Yeah. And he's going to play off-ball a lot. Uh, the thing about Sasser is that he could also play off-ball a lot, you know, cause, because of how good of a shooter that he is. But I think if you look at their draft more as far as uh, which players occupy which rows rather than maybe just pure positions, uh, it makes a lot more sense. But, you know, I do like I do like Sasser's game a lot. Uh, I mean, he – could really, really shoot it. Like, I think he was around 38% last season, and he shot it pretty well all four years. Uh, you know, he's got some range to him. And he's a really fiery defender, too. I mean, he just strikes me as a player that once people, like, watch him play, uh, he'll become a fan favorite in Detroit, you know, just because of the energy he plays with and just his ability to – he's just a good overall playmaker, uh, you know, I think to get 
a more experienced guy late in the lottery. I'm sorry, late in the first round is a good move for them. Uh, like maybe it starts more of a swing. So now it's just, let's take a player that we feel pretty good is going to play 10 to 15 years in the NBA. And that's Sasser. And I think when you look back on drafts, uh, you typically see that a lot of those four-year guys may not have the same quote-unquote upside as some other prospects, but they could come in and play immediately. And they end up having pretty good careers. Uh, you know, so I think Sasser, who I think really kind of occupies that combo guard role, uh, you could put him next to Cade or Ivy and feel pretty good about it. Uh, he's a good defender in his own right. And it's just like, I just think the pick makes sense. Uh, you know, I also think people tend to overvalue second round picks. And I think uh, tr- uh, Trey and his front office, they've been a lot more uh, maybe loose with their willingness to include second round picks and deals to make deals happen. But uh, to me, that's not a big deal. I mean, if you give up a future first, like, okay, like that's different. But like two future seconds, I mean, you know, teams swap seconds around a lot. Uh, you know, I think it speaks to how much they want it faster. But I think from a value standpoint, that doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it's a big deal. I think gave two seconds up. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing we've learned with Troy Weaver, he identifies the guys he wants and then he goes and gets them regardless of value. I mean, if you wanted to tell me this was bad value going from 31 to 25 for a 6-1-6-2 combo guard, that, that's fine. I still think Marcus Sasser is a good player. I think he's going to come in and help day one. I think he's going to have a, you know, seven to 10 year NBA career as a backup guard. And I think he's in a good situation because like you he he's not necessarily a primary initiator, Amari. So he fits perfect playing next to like Cade Cunningham because Cade can be the primary initiator, but Sasser can guard the primary perimeter offensive player on the other end. So putting him next to a jumbo initiator like that, even Killian Hayes in the second unit makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think you can see a world where those two really get after people defensively and just some more shooting numbers Amari from three in his sophomore season he took eight attempts 34 percent but he shot 85 percent from the free throw line that year his next year he took 8.6 attempts and shot 44 percent from three this last year that dipped a little bit to 38 but he shot again 85 percent from the free throw line so a lot of shooting metrics that really play into him being a good shooter and just the mentality overall, what he's going to do defensively. I, I really like it. I was excited about that pick. Um, and like you said, you know, second round picks are, are what they are. I think you can go replace those and replenish them if you really need it. Well, I'm interested to see what you thought because I liked a lot of those wings in this area of the draft where they got Sasser or even at 31. But if you start to look at that wing room, that, that three, four room, they have a SAR now, they have Bogey still. If you believe in Isaiah Livers at all, Hami's still on the roster. And then, of course, we all think Isaiah Stewart's going to play that four position. If you add a free agent also, Amari, where would that guy have played? Like, I don't know that there's necessarily minutes there for him anyway. I'm not saying you always have to you know, make a selection for that. But that room all of a sudden gets a little bit crowded, maybe a little bit too young. You know, if you want to keep Bogey around. So that may have played into this as well, that just... You can only have so many guys you can develop because there's only so many minutes available. Yeah, I think it's that. And also, uh, coming off of a 17 one season, uh, you probably just approach the draft with the mindset of, you know, let's get players that we just feel good about in general. Uh, you could always make trades down the road to bounce the room out a little bit. And uh, I think you look at the draft board with a Pistons successor, and there were a lot of 
pretty good wings still on the board. I mean, I think Ben Shepard went right after him, and you saw Maxwell Lewis and Julian Phillips and just, you know, a lot of players that, you know, maybe on paper kind of fit that 3 and D archetype a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, you look at free agency, you know, of course, you know, we've been talking about it for a while. They probably go with some sort of 3 and D wing in some capacity that direction. So do you need a star and then a wing at, at 25 and then another wing uh, in free agency? Uh, probably not. And, you know, we still have to see what happens as far as free agency. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think Sass is a really good player. You know, I think a lot of the the uh, issues people have with the pick would disappear once they see him play. Uh, because he does give this backcourt, I mean, the backcourt needs shooting and it needs defense, right? I think this was a very defense-minded draft for the Pistons. Uh, uh, between Asar and and then Sasser, you got two really, really good defensive prospects who can raise the floor next season. Yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway, Omari, is, you know, it was this was not a good defensive team last year. And as excited as I am about Dan Burke coming in to be the defensive coordinator, of the defense, I you got to have players that defend to go along with it. You got to have athletes. You got to have guys that will get after it and want to do those things on the defensive end. And you got two guys who seem to project to do that. And both of them, what I love is they make Cade and Jaden's jobs easier. They make their lives easier. You know, if you don't have to put those guys on a primary wing offensive player, you don't have to put those guys on a primary perimeter like on ball creator now because you have a SAR or what we think a SAR is going to be because you have Marcus Sasser even Killian Hayes if you know we we can't forget about him he's still on the roster for now so those guys can really expend a lot of their energy doing what they want to do offensively and just take kind of those second and tertiary offensive players and I think that allows them to really do you know, and expend energy on the offensive end. I do want to bring up, I don't know how much you've looked into this at all. I think the one undrafted free agent, at least I've seen for the Pistons, is Tosan Obama. I don't know if I said that correctly, but the the forward out of Princeton, um, I did a little bit of research on him. I didn't do a, you know anything for him pre-draft, but uh, I, I heard a Scotty Barnes light um, whenever I was watching a video this morning before this. So he's a pass-first guy. I think he has the record for most assists in the se- uh, season at Princeton. Maybe not a big-time score, but kind of this forward that can pass the ball, be a good connector. So that's the one undrafted free agent I've seen so far. Have you got any more names outside of that? No, I don't have anything else beyond that. Uh, maybe some more clarity will come in today. But I think you just look at the Pistons overall draft class last night, and the takeaway is let's make Cade and Jaden's lives easier, right? You know, I think they kind of looked at what they thrived with as freshmen. I'm sorry, as, as rookies, kind of what they struggled with. And the Pistons said, we need to take some of the load off of them defensively. And we just need to get some more creation and shot making next to them. And both of those draft picks, if you look at it through the angle of uh, how can we make Cade and Jaden's lives easier, uh, I think both of those picks check those boxes pretty strongly. All right, real quick before we go to break, we got to go back and circle back to Cam Whitmore, Amari, because we've been saying for a few weeks now that this was a Cam Whitmore-friendly podcast. And the NBA draft was not friendly to Cam Whitmore last night. I had him number five on my overall big board. I had him number one on my Pistons big board. You know, I, I want to just remind people real quick, Sam Vecini, who's maybe the best in the business in terms of NBA draft media stuff, had Cam Whitmore number three overall. And this kid falls all the way to 20, Omari. Like this was 
crazy to me. It was one thing that he got passed up by the Pistons. It was another thing that maybe he fell out of that tier of those top kind of nine guys. But to fall completely out of the lottery through the middle of the first round, what were you thinking just as you saw that free fall? Yeah, I mean, I think even the morning of the draft, uh, a lot of people you know, figured he was a, a top 10 lock even still. I mean, from the fall all the way to 20, I think was shocking for everybody. And you hear a lot of, you know, noise about his medicals and this and that. And there's reports that he just didn't interview well. Uh, you know, I know I heard earlier this week that he was on Detroit's draft board, but not necessarily at the top of it. Uh, you know, like he, he had fans, but, you know, clearly at some point during the process, they decided that Asar uh, was the safer option. Uh, you know, it's tough to say exactly uh, you know, what it was that kind of cooled teams on Kevin Whitmer to the extent that it did. Uh, I mean, just to follow the, the 20, I don't think anybody would have predicted that, uh, you know, before the the draft. But, you know, whatever the medical situation with him is clearly scared a lot of teams away. And then it sounds like it was just that and maybe a combination of just, you know, underwhelming workouts and, and interviews. And it's tough to say the extent that whatever his medical issue is, the injury maybe affected those workouts. But uh, very surprising fall. I mean, I'm still a big fan of Kevin Whitmore's game. You know, I still, you know, stand by everything I've said about him. Well, of course, these last few weeks, I mean, you know, a player of that type of athleticism shooting uh, has a really high ceiling in the NBA. And, you know, you just look at him as like an off-ball player. And, uh, you know, the playmaking doesn't, I mean, it's a red flag. It doesn't completely scare you off to him as a, a prospect because we've seen a lot of wings in the NBA um, not be like the greatest playmakers but still have long careers just because of what they can do without the ball. And Cam Whitmer still has all of that. You know, but clearly there's some red flags in his medicals that really kind of knocked his draft stock uh, toward the end. And, you know, Houston might have stumbled into, uh, you know, two of the best five prospects in the draft. It's funny because it seemed like this whole time it was where Houston go, oh, man, or will they go Cam Whitmer? And then they end up getting both. So, uh, you know, obviously a big win for them to get him at 20. But very surprising for sure, not just to see the extent that he fell. That's what makes this whole thing so hard, Amari, is, I mean, again, not to like go back to Vecini, but Vecini's connected too. And obviously he hadn't heard this much intel if he had him as high as he, you know, even Javoni and these guys were mocking him in the top 10 still. So like, that's what's crazy to me is the guys that are most connected had heard some of the intel about the medicals and all that still were keeping him in the top 10. And so it's almost like it had to be even worse than what they had heard or what people were saying even behind the scenes not just what was getting out to us I actually had caught wind of the medicals like maybe a week or so ago but I mean it must be even worse than what any of us you know I I feel bad for him um, at the same time I'm kind of interested to know like I guess maybe I'm just being nosy here but I'm curious like are the medical is it more than just like broken bones or something like is it a heart thing is it a respiratory thing is there something you know like that where it's just it's almost unsafe for him to play like that's what I'm interested to find out and then I, I don't know because I'm with you I stand by my evaluation of him as a player on the floor and how he looked and so um you know, Houston, Houston could run out a lineup next year, Omari, of Amin, Jalen Green, Cam Whitmore, Javari Smith Jr., Alperin Shingun. That's that's pretty exciting for them. But I'm excited with what Detroit can run out as well. We're going to go to a short break here. If you guys have any questions, go ahead and get those in now, and then we'll answer those as they come in here to finish off the episode. But we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with those. All right, we're back with segment three. 
And we are going to yeah start off with uh, this question from uh, Kirk Legrero. I believe it's a pronunciation there. If I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Is Tucson? Uh, I'm sorry. This is I'm going to struggle with his last name. Abuma. Oh, Abuma. Sound like a two way deal or just a training camp? I think it was an in, E10, uh, right? And it was an yeah. E10 is what I saw. So yeah, yeah. I believe it's a, a E10. I have to follow up on that today. You know, that's the you know downside of recording at 8 a.m. <laughs> but uh, I believe it's just a, a e, E10, and then down the road later this summer we will see. You know, that becomes a two way or just a cruise inviter. What comes of that? Yeah, I mean, I think those two-way spots are going to be interesting for the Pistons, how they play out. Um, assuming we'll get more information on that over the next couple of days. And then, guys, we are, we'll record again Sunday afternoon. I believe we're going like 2 Eastern or something like that. Um, so be on the look for that. We'll do more questions and all, you know, have some more insight into all of this. Um, obviously, we're just, you know, 12 hours from the draft last night. Um, so we'll keep with the questions. Travis. Rosinski, you've been very active in the chat. Appreciate you, Travis. I think you were even here early. Um, hypothetical, Detroit gets Cam in free agency. What's the lineup? So Cam Johnson, let's say the Pistons sign him. Uh, I would assume then you probably do see a starting lineup of Cam Johnson and Boyan Bogdanovich in that scenario. I don't know what you think, Amari. Um, I assume we would all pencil in Cade, Jaden, and Jalen Duran, one, two, and five. And so it's kind of those wing forward spots. So, uh, you know, I could see a world where a star doesn't start in that scenario. I could also see a world where maybe you just bring Bogey off the bench and let him provide spacing in the second unit. You know, if you bring in Cameron Johnson, then, you know, he probably starts. And then you have a couple of wings to choose from, uh, you know, for that other three slash four spot, uh, you know, whether it's a star or, um, you know, Bogey or somebody else. Um, you know, so I'd be curious to see which direction they go. I mean, it could be matchup based as well. If you want a little bit more defensive pop, you go for Sar. If you want the shooting, you go Boyan. Uh, but, you know, I think sort of the uh, nice thing about that is just you have different wing options. And the Pistons haven't had that in the recent seasons. Uh, you know, I know the Sar's the fifth pick, and, you know, maybe people want to see him start. But, you know, I think it's a luxury, uh, you know, to be able to sign somebody free agency that makes you not have to rely one of your rookie as much. So, you know, if they sign Cam, then, you know, I'd be curious to see where they go with that other spot. You know, maybe they stick with allowing their uh, high lottery pick to start from day one. But, uh, you know, Bogey, I mean, he is a great shooter and he fits all lineups. And, uh, they have some versatility there as far as which direction they go. How exciting is Summer League going to be, Amari? I mean, that first night, I'm assuming we're going to get Houston, Detroit, Amin versus Saar. And then, of course, we're going to get, I, I can't imagine they're not going to go Wimby versus Scoot. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. I know we're both going to be out there um, still waiting on our credentials, but um, that's going to be that's going to be exciting to, to watch those two guys go out. I, I have a feeling I have a feeling that place is going to be packed. Thomas and Mac is going to be packed there on Friday night. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Yes, yeah, same. I remember two years ago, just all the hype that when it's like Kate Cunningham, yeah. Jalen Green matched up, and the gym was the gym was packed for that one. And uh, now you get to repeat a different version of that two years later. Uh, you know, I kind of crack up with like this rivalry between like the Pistons and and the Rockets fans on Twitter. That kind of started with Green and Kate, and somehow has persisted uh, this entire time. Uh, I mean, I've, I've probably watched these two teams play you know three or four times in that stretch. And, couldn't tell you the final scores for either of them. I mean, they're typically two matchups like the NBA's worst teams, but the fan bases keep keep finding 
keep finding Kendo to keep this, uh, <laughs> you know, to keep this rivalry going. Yeah, now they, the two brothers are on each team. So uh, that'll be fun. That'll be a fun summer league matchup. And uh, it just seems like NBA keeps finding ways to make Pistons and Rockets fans uh, argue with each other. Well, and Amin and Asar played into it even more last night because yeah. I, the, Asar said he had Cade as the number one pick in that tra- that class, and then Amin said that he had Jalen Green. And so, or say, I don't know, maybe Asar said Amin had Jalen Green. So um, they're, they're just going to keep playing into it. It's going to keep growing. It, it'll be fun. Um, let's go to Matt Way here. Always a big-time supporter. Appreciate you, Matt. If something comes of DeAndre Hunter talked that Jake Fisher reported, can he and Asar play together as the 3-4? I don't know if you saw that in Ranamari. I think it came out by Jake Fisher that the Pistons were in talks about DeAndre Hunter. I don't know if that was just a draft night thing that didn't come to fruition or if it's continuing on. But have you heard any of that and then thoughts on, excuse me, DeAndre Hunter? I think Asar and DeAndre Hunter could absolutely work as a, a 3-4. Uh, both of those guys can defend. Uh, I mean, we know for a fact that Hunter is an above-average defender in the NBA. Uh, could also shoot. You know, Asar is probably the stronger playmaker of the two, and he can also defend. So, you know, it gives you a really strong 3-4 uh, combination defensively uh, with shooting and playmaking covered as well. Uh, absolutely. And I think the thing with Asar is that, you know, as long as the guy next to him can shoot, he can probably play with anybody because of what he brings athletically and defensively and as a, a playmaker. I mean, you know, it could be Cam, it could be DeAndre, it could be Jeremy, whoever. You know, I think Asar's playmaking enables him to play next to a, a lot of different wings. How with Asar, I, I really at that position, you want another guy that defends because I think that gives you a really good defensive, you know, wing forward. I think you got to have a guy that can knock down some shots, but the the passing from that person doesn't have to be great, right? Because you have Cade, you have Jaden, you have Asar, you have Jalen Duran. You have plenty of passing already. You almost just need a play finisher in some type, ideally one that can stretch the floor. From Camille, appreciate you always support. Um, which player would be our target with the MLE? And so I tried to look this up. It looks like if this is correct that the MLEs are roughly twelve point four million for non taxpayers. So um, you're looking at somebody in twelve point. Like I, I don't know. That it, none of these guys that we're talking about, like Cam Johnson, I don't think you're not getting him. I don't think you're not getting him for that. I don't think you're getting Grant Williams for that. Is that like the Dylan Brooks play? If they wanted to go with Dylan Brooks, could you get Dylan Brooks for that amount? Um, but you know, maybe he gets that from a better team that's you know win some more games next year. So Max Struess is going for more than that. Maybe Yuta, but that seems a little bit much for Yuta Watanabe. So. There's a few names for me that that I guess could play into that if you're not giving them, you know, this longer term contract like you would if it was Cam Johnson or somebody like that. I do think the pendulum has kind of swung too far in the opposite direction with Dylan Brooks. I mean, obviously, he you know said a lot of stuff that came back to bite him uh, during these last playoffs. But, you know, covering him down in Memphis, like he really does work extremely hard on defense and he would lift Detroit's floor there. And, um, you know, obviously maybe the shot selection you kind of have to uh, have a conversation with him about. But overall, I mean, I, I do think that's probably more of a uh, Dylan Brooks range of outcome if you're just talking about the MLE. Uh, you know, there are some other players in that range who could come in and really bring, uh, you know, some, some good shooting and playmaking. And, you know, I don't have the free agency list in front of me, but just I've talked about, hey, like a guy like Yuta, I think uh, could make sense. In that spot, uh, maybe like a, a, a Tory Craig, I think would make sense in that spot. Uh, you know, he, he can defend and uh, knock down open threes as well. Uh, so you have a, a few role players in that range who I think could really come in and, 
you know, fill a role immediately for the business. 12.4 million for the non-taxpayer MLE. So that's, that's where I'm at. Um, I could be reading that wrong. Um, this is where I go to for that type of information. I don't know if that has updated with the new salary cap that came out. I know the salary cap came in a few million higher than even what people anticipated. So another one here from Travis, who is the main free agent target? If not, are they going to take bad contracts for future assets? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a few, like you spin big on Cam Johnson. That sounds like the main hot name. Maybe you can, you know, offer him a big enough contract that Brooklyn doesn't match. And then the next option to me is maybe you overpay for one year, a couple years on a Kelly Oubre or a Grant Williams, somebody like that. Grant Williams is a restricted free agent as well. And then if not, then I do think that that's when you go to the Tobias Harris thing with the Sixers, right? Amari, you, you trade for Tobias Harris, take on quote unquote, a bad contract, but a guy that can still contribute to the team and would fit with the team, especially with the SR pick and hopefully get some future assets. So I think I would go through those things kind of in that order if I was Troy Weaver in the front office. Yeah, the thing with going after Cam Johnson is that it ties up your money, uh, sort of like in that restrictive free agency limbo until the situation resolves itself. So if you're going after Cam Johnson, he's probably the main target. And, you know, of course, not only is he just a good on paper fit, but there's a relationship with Monty Williams there as well. So uh, I, I will look out for that one. Uh, I mean, if not, uh, you know, in the market after that, it's kind of barren because maybe Jeremy goes back to Portland and some of your other targets are out then. You know, at that point, yeah, like I do think there's a good chance they could pivot to, you know, let's just go to like asset management mode, uh, you know, see if a team would give you something to get off of a big contract. Uh, Trey kind of hits at it earlier this week with the new CBA where it's just very punitive for teams to be in the tax multiple years in a row. And, you know, I think we could see teams this summer who are like in that middle uh, begin to make moves to uh, just lighten their financial load a bit. Uh, you know, and, and take more of a firm direction, right? Like, are we if we're not contending, then we need to probably go toward a rebuild. So the Pistons can capitalize on that. And we've seen them eat, you know, money in the past doing that same sort of thing. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a logical outcome for them. I'm sorry, guys. You guys are right. I'm reading this. They would have the room exception on taxpayer. I'm sorry. So $7.7 million, that, that makes a lot more sense. So... Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking the non non taxpayer. That's not Detroit mid level room exception seven point seven million on that one. So with the team drafting Thompson and Sasser, what does this mean for Hami, Kojo, and Magruder? I mean, I, I think it eventually those guys it was going to come down to roster spots anyway. Do you need Kojo if you keep Hayes and Burks, and now you have Sasser? Like maybe not. Do they see redundancy between Hami and Asar? Like, I could see that. I think it comes down to, again, what are you going to end up being able to sign in free agency? You have to do something with that $30 million. And so eventually you're looking at roster spots and just are there enough for all of these guys? So um, I still don't hate those guys as end of the you know roster. You know, you have 15 spots. So, you know, it doesn't have to be filled out with young guys or anything like that. Um, but my guess is those guys may look for – like if I'm Hami, I may be looking to go somewhere else for, you know, more playing time, a bigger role than maybe what he sees for himself in Detroit. Kojo, it probably comes down to relationship stuff. You know, same thing with Magruder. Maybe he thinks he can go somewhere and, and you know, actually get, you know, in the rotation. He wasn't even in the rotation last year necessarily. So probably kind of depends where those guys are at in their careers and kind of what they're wanting. Yeah, I still think probably Roddy has the best chance of coming back just because of his relationship with Troy and, you know, just what he's been to these guys in the locker room 
uh, with Sasser and Asar, I believe they're at 12 roster spots. So, uh, you know, you bring somebody, one or two guys in in free agency, and, you know, you can see pretty quickly that, you know, it's just you can't bring all three of these guys back. Uh, you know, I think we'll probably just see one of them come back, and uh, they probably part ways with two. Yeah, and maybe they, they bring two back, depending on what happens to free agency, but just at this point, the math kind of, ways against them doing that yeah i mean that's what it comes down to like eventually it's a roster spot thing right and like none of these guys are doing two-way you know anything like that so like they have to be on the roster and so it just it comes down to to a roster crunch and you know if there's a trade where they you know consolidated some guys then maybe all of a sudden there's a higher chance they come back i don't think any of us are foreseeing that and so you know three roster spots three guys they haven't signed anybody outside of the organization in free agency yet and so it just it's hard to see all three of them come back this is from doug mcminiman again another big time supporter appreciate you is building a good defense personnel or having a good system i mean i think it's having a system that fits your personnel i mean that's if you wanted to go full switch everything and you have Marcus Sasser. I don't think that that's going to be super successful because he just doesn't have that type of versatility. So I think it's really about having a system and then getting the right guys to fit the system or kind of adjusting your system. So with Marcus Sasser, you're playing drop coverage because you don't want him to switch on, you know, a big guy. So I think it's, it's making sure you mesh those two things. But man, I mean, I don't think if you have guys that don't believe in playing defense in that way or how important it is, I don't think it matters what your system is. So I do think it starts a little bit just with having a certain personnel. It's certainly both. Uh, you know, I think a system is only as good as its personnel. And uh, just having good personnel alone isn't enough to form a good defense if the scheming isn't correct. So, you know, I'll say it's 50-50 split. You know, I think any good defensive coach needs the personnel to execute their uh, scheme. I mean, we even talked about the Pistons in the past few years. You have a lot of young guys, so I think it's tough to form a good defense. You know, with a team of players who don't really, or are learning what they're doing in real real time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, scheme, personnel, uh, both those things are very important in that equation. All right, Omari. We, uh, I, th- I think all of us, including Wes, need to go get a nap in and rest up a little bit. Uh, appreciate everybody that tuned in this morning and watched this with us. We wanted to get up. We wanted to get something out to you guys. And we appreciate all of you watching live. If you're listening on podcasts, again, leave a rating, a review, Apple, Spotify. Those have really been increasing and we appreciate it a lot. We will be back on Sunday with a live recording for our normal weekly episode. We'll do that Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. And then the podcast version will start dropping on Tuesdays again. So we'll be back kind of regularly scheduled stuff, free agency coming up soon, Amar. I think the the tampering period or whatever it's called is on the 30th. And so we'll see if anything drops with the Pistons. And then again, here in a couple of weeks, Amari, a really, really fun special episode where we'll record in person together out in Vegas. I think that one will be a lot of fun for everybody to do that one live. So thanks, Amari. I know you're on about three, four hours of sleep. I'm on not much more. Same with Wes. So we love doing this and we definitely wanted to get something out here this morning thanks everybody for joining us this morning uh, appreciate the kind words charles great show as always a uh, lot to talk about in the next few weeks of course with you know draft free agency and then summer league where me and bryce will record live from vegas so again big thanks to everybody and i will close this out with a big thanks to our executive producer Anjanette delgado our sports editor kirkley crawford and our audio producer robin chan also big shout out to west davenport and we'll talk to you all sunday Thank you.